You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the US, and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way, because I want you to have a profitable private practice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Therapy for Your Money. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Lindsay Bonham, who is a therapist in private practice. She is also a consultant who helps therapists feel calm and in control of their finances. And she's the creator of the Money Skills for Therapists course. Lindsay, welcome. Hi, thank you. So it's great to chat with you. We were, we were just chatting before we started recording that um, what we do is very complimentary in many ways um, yes. where you really, um, through your course, you lay the foundation for, uh, how, would, how would you explain it? Lay the foundation for um, feeling in control of yes. money, right? Yes. It's really those foundational skills is what I'm teaching and like helping to work through the mindset blocks. So really getting like your feet kind of solidly on the ground about money. Yeah. And so, um, what are some of the main emotions that you see therapists struggle with around money and finances? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think Julie, like therapists are so used to being very competent. We tend to be people who, if anything, were kind of like overly competent in life yes. <laughs> and used to kind of like over-functioning and taking care of other people. And so we're used to really being able to do things. Um, and when it comes to money, what I noticed is because a lot of us weren't taught about it and we don't know about it, we can very quickly go to like a shame place Mm. because we're not used to not being good at something. Right. And so we can very quickly, um, a lot of therapists can move into stories about like being dumb and like, I should know this and it's my fault that I'm in this situation. So a lot of shame um, around money. We also tend to be pretty anxious around money. Therapists tend to be pretty sensitive people. Like we think about the future. We really notice things that are going on. Um, And so money not being in control can be very stressful. Um, So a lot of anxiety and fear about what that's going to mean for us. Um, And all of that can really just kind of add up to this overwhelm that basically leads to therapists just avoiding their money altogether, because that is much more pleasant than sitting with all those yucky emotions. Right. Um, I I personally call that the ostrich syndrome where you're just putting your head in the sand and you pretend pretend it doesn't exist. Um, Yes. So Lindsay, in your opinion, is the, is the lack of control, is it, uh, a true lack of control or is it just perceived? Um, Sometimes it's a bit of both. Like I think, and that's where there's, you know, I really focus on, there's the emotional side where there can be stories, um, you know, that make us feel like we're out of control, even though maybe your money's actually fine. Like a lot of times when therapists sit down and and gain the ability to really look and understand, it might not actually be as bad as they think. So sometimes that's the situation, right? But sometimes on the other side, there is truly this lack of control, Um, And that especially shows up in people who um, just spend and spend and spend and spend. Um, And it does feel very much like an out of control behavior. And sometimes it is like, literally you, you don't have kind of the, the ability yet to direct your money. It just kind of goes away. Um, And there's, you know, you have the, the potential to kind of harness it. I think of money as like very powerful. Right. And, you know, most therapists, we definitely have the ability to harness that power, but when you haven't harnessed it, it can definitely, uh, money just flows. It's just gone. Um, and it's not going where you need it to go. And in that sense, it is kind of actually out of control. Okay. Um, and for, for 
business owners, there's Mm -hmm. more opportunity than just for someone who is working for someone else, right? Where you have the opportunity to control how much Mm -hmm. you make and how much you spend. Whereas if you're working in a job for someone else, like you really don't have control that much over how much you make, right? Yes. So how do you help people uh, navigate both of those pieces at the Mm -hmm. same time? Yeah. And I mean, that is really uh, a gift of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Therapy and, and and health services in general, right, where we have a caseload is one of the rare fields where it's kind of like you work more and you can make a lot more mm-hmm. <laughs> by raising your fee. You can make a lot more by seeing more clients. Um, and so, yeah, there is this power to really affect the income. And so something that I do with my students is get them looking at um what's possible in their practice, right? Because often we're kind of sitting on all this potential that maybe we have negative stories about ourselves that get in the way, like I can't charge more or, you know, I'm never going to find the right clients for my niche. Nobody wants what I do, you know? And so if we have these negative stories, it's like we haven't tapped into that power yet. But once you start to get clear on the value of what you do, we have a lot of ability to influence our income. And something that I do in, in the course is I have a tool that I really love called the salary play sheet where it's like, let's reverse engineer from your life to your practice. So it's like, how much do you want to make in a year? Like, just like that number that would make you really excited. Like that number that if somebody offered you a job and they like slid the number across the table, you'd be like, yes, <laughs> like on the right? spot. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So like, what is that number for you? And that's an emotional number. You know, we can also get into like, what do you actually, what does your life cost? Need, but yeah. what is that number And then you can start to reverse engineer like, okay, so with my fee as it is, how many clients a week would I need to see to make that happen? If I raise my fee a bit, how many clients would I need to see? If I took six weeks vacation, what would that mean? If it took four? So starting to actually like really tap into that power. Because as you say, we do have the ability to influence our income, not just our expenses. And often um, our income and getting clear about what you want and need and what is possible is where we can really move the needle right? In terms of bringing more money into our world. Our expenses are important. And like, I definitely have worked with therapists who spend basically as much as they make. Sure. (laughs) In that case, there's a lot of good that can happen from adjusting your expenses, a lot of good. Um, But for most of us, once you've got your expenses kind of like in that 30% or below range, and I don't know, Julie, what you suggest for operating expense ratio, but that's kind of where I see is kind of the ceiling for most of us in solo practice. Yeah. Um, then once you've adjusted that, then the, the place where you can really make a difference is that income side. So it's being connected to the potential with both sides of that. Yeah, that, that's absolutely what I see. So, so generally speaking for, for solo practices, what we tend to recommend is that profit margin should be somewhere in the like 50 to 80% range. Mm-hmm. So that means yeah. your, your expenses are going to be yeah. somewhere between like 20 and 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, the lower, the better on the expenses, but that's kind of yes. the range that we see. And it depends on like what stage of private practice, like how new you are, insurance, yes. not insurance, all that. Um, but what I find inter- interesting is that like often um, there's so much focus on like, how can I minimize expenses that you're spending so much energy there? We're yes. like really just seeing one more client, like that prob- yeah, problem goes away, right? So 100%. so just forgetting that like you have, you have um, power over, over both, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So what's, What's a misconception that therapists in private practice have uh, around money? Yeah, like I think that because of what we just talked about, where like a lot of therapists may not be naturally good at money, right? And and then have Mm -hmm. that shame. There's like this story that I see a lot, which is thinking that they can't figure it out. It's like not solvable. 
right? And and that comes out often. I hear the story of like, well, I'm just like not a numbers person. I've never been good at money. <laughs> Family's not good at money. Like I just am never going to figure this out. And, you know, Julie, I'm sure you feel like this about your clients. Like when you're sitting across from somebody and they're so obviously smart yeah. and so capable, they've gotten so much education and done all that hard work to like get through school and do their internship. And then not only that, but they like, usually went through an agency and then they started to practice like therapists are so capable. And I think that there's this misconception that that is not that you can't turn that on money and that you don't have the ability to learn money, but like money is completely learnable. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to start at the, at the right place. Right. So where, where, um, where does that begin then? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think for, you know, where we start in the work that I do with people is like, first of all, let's, let's figure out what those stories are that are coming up for you about money that are tripping you up. So you can't even think clearly about money. Right. Cause often we're carrying so much baggage around money, you know, like uh, the story that there's never enough money. Maybe you grew up with parents who didn't, couldn't earn money or couldn't manage money. And there was never enough. That's like so deep and it feels so true in your body <laughs> that even if in your brain, you know, that like, that's probably not true. It doesn't matter, right? right? Like it's going to inform how you manage your money, right? And maybe you hoard money if you believe there's enough or some people, maybe you even just spend money because you're like, well, I have it. I got to get rid of it. Otherwise, maybe it'll go away somewhere else, right? I'll have to pay it to a bill. I'd rather buy this nice shirt. Um, It's incredible, like the different ways that these stories come out. But that's part of it is starting to get clear on like, what's your baggage? What's in the way? This is such a therapist way to think about it, obviously. Yeah, they're really... It really is. I love it. But once you know your baggage, um, I, I don't usually call it baggage. Once you know your money stories, at least you can notice them when they come up. And when you're looking at your budget and you see that you have like $10,000 in your business account, at least when that voice that comes up and says, there isn't enough, you need more, you can start to be like, oh, there's that story. Got it. Yeah. Is there actually not enough for me to pay myself a paycheck or can I pay a paycheck? Because that's another thing that I see with therapists. And Julie, I don't know if you see this with yeah. some of your clients too, is like hoarding money right? Like the money's there. And yet you're so convinced that you're going to like lose your clients or that you're going to need it for something that people don't pay themselves. Yeah. Right. So starting to get clear on that stuff is foundational. So it's, that's the emotional piece. And then that second piece is the skills. Like we're just not taught these things. Yeah. We're just not taught financial literacy. And I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. (laughs) I I wish there, I I wish there was more, um, financial literacy. It sure keeps, uh, me employed. Yes. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, but I also think, um, and I wanted to ask you about this. I think there's also so much guilt around like making a decent living as a therapist. Like Mm -hmm. it's such a helping profession. Yes. And so, so I'd love to hear you speak, speak around that. Yeah. And with that, I think that a lot of therapists, um, I know for me personally, I was a therapist long before I was a therapist. <laughs> so like when I was 12, I remember a friend saying like, you're, you're like my therapist. And I clocked like, that's not good. <laughs> that's not friendship. But usually these kind of care behaviors that we have, these, this gift of uh, empathy and intuition and being able to guide people, we've usually had it for a very long time before we go into the profession. Got it. And I think because of that, th- there's other reasons too, but because of that, we inherently kind of devalue it. Cause it's kind of like something that we already could just do. Right. Um, and nice. something we did for free for probably a decade before we became therapists. So I think that is part of it is not understanding the value of our gift and not understanding that many people would rather run away screaming 
rather than be a therapist and like listen to the stories we listen to and sit with the, yeah. <laughs> Julie's hands Including up. me. I'm yes. raising my hand. <laughs> and like sitting with that intensity of emotion and being with people like in their trauma and suffering. Yeah. Um, we forget that that's actually a really special superpower that most people do not have and do not want. It really is. Right? I don't know so it. I yeah. Have yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Another part of it is that we tend to be really attuned to the injustice in the world because we're sensitive, empathetic people, you know, and I think we should be, I think that's good. Right. And so that's part of it too, is like when we are so aware of the suffering and the systemic oppression and all these like systemic issues that make it so hard for some people to ever get a chance in life. um, It can be difficult for us to also recognize that that is true. And at the same time, if we're not well, and if we aren't able to take care of ourselves in our lives, we actually can't keep doing this work. And that's the cost, right? Of undervaluing our work is we burn out and then we can't help anybody. And then no one is help. Yeah. Nobody's help. When a practice goes down in a ball of flames, then no one gets help. No one gets helped. And also then there's actually, unfortunately, harm to you, probably harm to your family because now you're recovering from burnout, right? And, and you're in a, you're in a bad place. Um, so it's, it's striking that balance between that empathy to what's happening, but also realizing like, you're also a human who has needs and needs to be able to like eat good food and go on vacation once in a while. Yes. Take care of yourself Take care and of live yourself. in a nice, warm oh, place. Safe home. Yes. <laughs> Safe All home. of these things and more. And you need to be able to retire one day and yes. you need to be able to take mat leave with, you know, your, your kids. Like those things do really matter. Yeah. Um, and when we try to ignore and devalue those things, we pay the price, our clients pay the price, our family pays the price. Because if you're not doing well, you're not the effective therapist that you can be. Yeah. And you're not practicing what you preach and your clients can tell whether you want them to or not. That's totally fair. Um, so for for people who have been avoiding their finances, being, being the ostrich, what are some of your suggestions to just get started? Yeah. So part of it, I think, is being kind to yourself that maybe Ooh, this is hard that's I know I radical <laughs> um and so uh, something that I encourage my students to think about a lot is your money time think about it as money time put some boundaries around it right so like setting aside time which could be as little as 20 minutes um it could be as much as two hours depending on how your brain works right but starting to be curious about what do you actually need to be able to start to learn and, and build out systems and understand your numbers. Um, what do you need in your environment? You know, how do you make your space conducive? Is working on it on your messy dining room table while your kids run around, is that gonna work for you? God, it's a pl- physical space as Physical well. space, right? What is the space like? Is it going to a cafe when one day we're allowed to do that again? Something. Is it working at your office? So like, what's the location? What's the time of day and week? Because usually we have like our natural ebbs and flows of energies. So I find most therapists kind of the beginning or the end of the week, they have kind of like a natural emptier day. Okay. So like the Friday morning, day, Friday morning, or like Monday, if Monday's a light day for you, fitting it um, into your schedule in a time that makes sense for what you know is going to be time when you actually have brain, brain cells okay. <laughs> to give to it. Right. Cause a lot of times on our, our clinical days, it's hard to switch gears. Sure. Right. And so trying to like see a client squish in some money time and then see another client an hour later, for most therapists doesn't work, but it's just about being curious about what you need, right? So it's acknowledging that you need some extra comfort and support, creating that environment, fitting in the time. Um, And then it's also, I'm I'm really into rewards, right? Tell me more. Yes. So it's like, 
do you, can you package it with something else to make it? There's this um, concept, I think it's called coupling, coupling or something like that, where you take something that you don't really want to do and you add it to something that you like and you make those things go together. Um, right. So it's like, maybe it's that you work on your money. And then one of my students, she would work on her money on Fridays and then she would order lunch in immediately after. And those things went together. They were a package deal. Okay. And so then she started to have that association of like, I work on my money. Then I get to order yummy food. Right. And so it was just a given. Right. And for some people it's like, go for a walk afterwards. And that's a reward, but it's also like, if you know, you're going to be wound up, what's going to help to wind you down. Like that's a good way to go. I was just looking behind me because I feel like I've got a book. Oh, atomic habits. Is it, I think that's it might atomic be. habits where yeah. you do something that's already easy for you and yes. do something that's difficult, like to create the habit. So that mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. Like ordering lunch with something, something you like to do and can yes. easily do with, with exactly. um, your money. Exactly. Love yes. it. Um, so speaking of that, do you have any favorite accounting tools or software that you recommend? Like what, mm-hmm. what do you like to do? So I, um, I am a YNAB fan, Okay. <laughs> which, uh, in my course, a lot of my students choose to use YNAB because a lot of my students are sole proprietors and what's so amazing about YNAB, which is you need a budget. Are you, you, are you familiar yeah. with you need a budget? Yeah, I am. I am. But I think you need a budget. Why, why NAB? Yes. We, we call it YNAB, right? YNAB, yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's such a powerful uh, budgeting tool. And so what I love about it is it does the tracking that you need to give that basic numbers to your accountant and to give you that like nice picture of what's happened in the year. But it's real superpowers are around helping you start to move your money forward, have more money kind of pushed off into the future. So like you sit down this month and you already have all the money there to plan all your spending for this month right? And you're a whole month ahead in your, your spending. Um, and then you can also set goals in YNAB. So I really love like working our personal goals, like those things that really matter to us that make our lives better, making that part of your business budget and thinking about it as like a category to be funded, right? A goal. Yeah. And so YNAB uh, is just such a, a powerful tool. It takes some learning. There's a learning curve for sure. Um, but once people have it under their belts, um, it's such a powerful tool to really get money going where you want it to go in your practice. And then a lot of my students do use it at home because once you've built the skills in your business, you can apply them to home too. Got it. Yeah. And when you speak of uh, personal goals, like I'm thinking you you mean um, like a special vacation, like budgeting for a vacation or a uh, larger space or maybe mm-hmm. buying a building or yes, some, something exactly. along those lines, right? Exactly. Yeah. Going on maternity leave, whatever, whatever. Maternity the... leave, retirement, which yes. nobody is saving for us. <laughs> we got to do it ourselves. Sure. No one's yeah. going to so do it So those like bigger life goals, like the things that really make your life better. Got it. Um, and so you, you work mostly um, in your, with your course with solo practices, you did mention there's some group practices mm-hmm. um, as far as like accounting, is there is there, uh, do you have a recommendation on when someone should be managing their money themselves mm-hmm. and when they need help mm-hmm. um, or can yeah. or should outsource? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that, um, I mean, outsourcing absolutely makes sense once it starts eating your time. Yeah. Right. Like as a therapist, especially once you're a group practice owner, you have so many important tasks on your plate you are, you know, the CEO of your business. You have to be making financial decisions, but you also have to be supervising your staff and making sure that that bathroom gets unclogged. Like you, <laughs> you have just so many responsibilities yeah. and making sure everything is running that, you know, taking your time going through um, entries in QuickBooks is not a good use of your time yeah. at all. 
And like at that point, and even well before that point, outsourcing, like I'm a really big fan of learning what you can. So you feel confident about money and then giving it to somebody else as a task to do. Cause generally it's not the best use of your time. And like you said earlier, Julie, with income, it's like that hour of time that maybe you pay a bookkeeper to do your books once ideally in my world, you, you have some confidence and skills and you feel like you're handing it off. You're not giving away your power. You're like getting help. If you see one client, you know, you could probably pay for three hours of your bookkeeper's time. Yeah. Right. So just the return on it um, becomes very apparent once you're kind of more established and you have that money to put out for getting help, always get help. I'm a huge fan, get VAs, get bookkeepers, you know, get those, those menial kind of tasks off your plate that other yeah. people are going to find um, exciting and easy for them so that you can focus on your zone of genius. And I love what you said. That was like, when, once you understand it, I think there's a yes. lot of power to like getting your arms around whatever it is you're outsourcing, whether it's yes. accounting or marketing or whatever it may be that you mm. kind of understand at least the basics of it yes. before you give it to someone else. So you can Absolutely. measure what's going on. There's a difference between delegating a task and trying to give away your, your responsibility. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's uh, yeah. Still like sitting firm and like, I'm the one who ultimately makes decisions. Like nobody else can be the boss for you. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be the boss. Right. And so bringing Some people in knowing fun. that they're, I'm sorry, say that again. Some days it's less fun, but you still yes, have to do it. It is less fun sometimes, <laughs> but that is the one role you can't outsource. Right. So standing in that, that role, you can get lots of help and make your life easier um, while you're still the one making those big decisions that make a difference. All right, Lindsay, I've got one last question for you. What is your favorite business book and why? Mm, yes. Uh, I feel like this is like, <laughs> Um, such an obvious answer for any of my students who know me, but uh, Profit First is my favorite business book because for me, it was just such a game changer yeah. in really thinking about what's possible, like what our businesses can accomplish for us. And his, uh, Mike McCullowitz, the author, his descriptions of like our businesses being like hungry monsters that just eat all our money, I think is so true for so many of us. Um, and Profit First is something that I do teach in the course. Um, and many of my students choose to use it because for simpler businesses, um, for solo practices, uh, especially, it's just so conducive to just being able to just really make money go where you want it to go, have total yeah. clarity about what is where, there's no fogginess. And once you make that decision once, once you sit down and figure out your numbers and make the decision once, you don't have to make it every time you manage your money. It's like you've, you've put it on autopilot and the freedom that comes from that for so many therapists is huge. So and I, I love, love, love Profit First where my team is Profit First certified ah, lovely. and we implement Profit First like from solo to like large multi-million dollar groups and it yes. works all the way up yes. um, and not having enough money in that tax account, game changer, getting that Absolutely. quarterly profit distribution. Yes. Awesome. Right. Yes. Like, there's just so many things that can work, but it just helps control expenses mm -hmm. so well. So that, that book is actually a frequent flyer on the, <laughs> on the podcast. We get that. You have great taste in books. <laughs> that one. Uh, uh, and I personally love uh, Mike McAllowitz on audible is always mm -hmm. a treat. I think he's a good, oh. he's a good reader. Uh, I haven't his own heard books. him, but you can tell he's very entertaining and like lighthearted. So I can imagine him being fun to yes. listen to. And there's a additional tidbits when he reads on audible. So I, that's my rule. I would recommend reading one of his future books on Audible. It's really enjoyable. Thank you. All right, Lindsay, thank you for your time today. Tell our listeners where they can find all about, find out all about you and your course. 
So uh, the best place to kind of get into my world is actually our Instagram account, uh, moneynutsandbolts.com. Um, and if you're curious about the course, uh, you can go into our links on Instagram and you'll see I have a masterclass um, called the four-step framework to getting your business finances totally in order. It's a mouthful. We therapists like to talk a lot, <laughs> um, but that there is that link in my bio and Instagram, and that's how you can learn more about my course, Money Skills for Therapists. Um, but if you follow on Instagram, we put out lots of tips. Uh, lots of money content all the time. So that's a great way to get into our world. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Lindsay. It was great having you. Thank you so much. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest's general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.